0: It's John chapter fourteen, and we'll be reading from verses one to fourteen. The words will also be up on the screen. It says, "Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's houses are many rooms. If it were not so." I would have told you that I go to would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, how can we know the way? Jesus said to him. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have if you, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, "Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's just pray again. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Bible. We thank you for this amazing book that is your word, pure and holy. And we just pray now, as we come to look at it, that your Holy Spirit would see fit to come into all our hearts, that it would put the right words in my mouth and make sure that I am speaking truth, and that it would also come into the hearts of all the listeners here, and it would interpret for them to make sure that they know that what I am speaking is true. Father, we just pray that you would help us to understand this passage, to understand you better, and that through it, we would all be blessed by you, that we would all come to know you better and have a much deeper relationship with you in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, usually when we're doing these sermons on God's attributes, we begin with a simple dictionary definition of the attribute that we're looking at. But today, we're looking at truth, and that actually makes it quite difficult. Truth actually seems to be something that the dictionaries have a lot of difficulty defining. I looked at a few of them. The Cambridge Dictionary states that truth is the quality of being true and the Collins online dictionary states that truth is something that is believed to be true. Now, both of these definitions are completely inadequate. They are self-referential, which is something you're not supposed to do when you're defining a word. It would be like defining a cat by saying it's cat-like or defining a dog by saying it's a dog. You can't just say the truth is true it's not a useful definition the Merriam-Webster dictionary does a little bit better it defines truth as the body of real things events and facts and it also said it is being in accord with fact and reality this is a much better definition And really we should all instinctively know that the truth is what is real and what is actual. And it's quite silly that these dictionaries have such a difficulty in defining the word because truth is one of the essential building blocks of our whole civilization. It is necessary for our society to function. Our entire justice system is based on truth. If we go to court... We all know the line that we would have to say in the witness box. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We are triple swearing that we will not lie. And in doing so, we are ensuring that the legal judgments that are made are given as fairly and as accurately as possible. This is so important that it's actually a crime to lie in front of a judge, and it's a crime to tamper with evidence. If we look at our news media and our general conduct, we have defamation laws like slander and libel. These make it illegal to knowingly broadcast false information that could damage someone's reputation or cause them distress or harm. Libel cases in England can be traced back as far as the 13th century, showing how important it is that truth be told in public about us and how damaging a lie is understood to be in our society. I'm sure most of us will also be able to remember the extents that our schools would go to to make sure that we do not cheat in any of our tests or our exams. There was no talking in the exam hall, no passing of notes, there was no pencil cases or bags allowed. All of the exam papers had to be kept under lock and key until the day that they were needed. All of this was to ensure that the grades that we got would be truthful representations of our academic abilities. On that basis, we were sorted into secondary schools, sorted into university courses, given grades for our degrees and honours, and these would allow us to apply for jobs. With these, our employers would be able to select the most qualified person for the job that they were hiring for. All of that would fall apart if we were allowed to cheat in our exams. All of our scores would be meaningless. We all understand how necessary truth is. Everyone wants other people to be truthful to them. No one likes being lied to. In fact calling someone a liar is one of the biggest insults you can give today and knowing that someone has lied to you can be very hurtful especially if it is about something significant lies can break up friendships and they can break up families they can cause irreparable problems in our relationships being caught lying to someone else can completely destroy their trust and their confidence in you, and that damage may end up being permanent. To be considered untrustworthy by someone else means that nothing you ever say will be believed by them. That your words are not going to hold any value to the person that you're talking to. They have completely lost trust in you. When we lie to other people, we show a lack of respect to them. We put our own comfort before their right to know the truth. There is a reason why one of the Ten Commandments is regarding lying. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, the ninth commandment is, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Out of ten commandments, God includes not lying as one of them. That is how important truth is to God. So we can see the necessity of truth through truth comes confidence that what we are looking at is correct truth brings protection from being misled or being deceived someone who is truthful is honest real and factual we can fully trust what they are saying this is why here in john chapter 14 jesus emphasizes that he is truthful Not just a little bit, not just some of the time, but in verse 6, that he is truth itself. His words contain all of the facts and all of the knowledge. There's nothing left out. He's not like a confused witness in a courtroom who can give their testimony to the best of their ability. But there may be things that they didn't see. There may be issues with their testimony They may have information that they were unaware of. And because of that, what they say might end up being misleading. That's not who Jesus is at all. He's not that sort of witness. Jesus is saying that he has all of the information, that he is fully reliable and trustworthy. His witness to us is perfect. There are some religions that say that the Bible shows a part of the truth of who God is, but that you need to take the Bible along with other religious texts, like the Quran or the Buddhist texts, or the Hindu texts, or even New Age teachings. And through all of these writings and all of these books, somewhere in the middle is God. If you take what they have written and you kind of average it out and you take the common bits, there you'll find what God is like. Jesus here is completely knocking away that idea. He's not telling some of the truth. He is not giving a little information on divinity. This is everything that you need to know, and it is all completely trustworthy. He reinforces this in verses 10 and 11, saying, The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. To Jesus, this is the whole truth, and he speaks not just on his own authority, but on the authority of God the Father. He is being as truthful as God is, and throughout the rest of the Bible, we can see that God is a God of absolute truth. Jesus' own prayer in John chapter 17, verse 3, says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Psalm 33, verse 4, tells us, For the word of the Lord is is right, and all his works are done in truth. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, states and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is the true God the Bible leaves no room for doubt God is absolutely truthful he does not deceive us in any way this is especially important for us Because it also means that we can trust anything that is written in the Bible 100%. We don't have to doubt its accuracy. We don't have to wonder if God really meant what he said. He doesn't exaggerate and he doesn't speculate. He will not change his mind. If God has written it in the Bible, then it is completely true and reliable. And there are many Bible verses that also explain this. Psalm 119 verse 160 tells us this. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And of course, we have 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, which says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. So we should read our Bible in confidence and understand that every word there is placed by God deliberately. This means we can also put our full trust in the promises that God has given us because the Bible is full of God's promises and his blessings towards us. In Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 to 20, Paul provides us with what could be described as God's thought process for how he creates his promises. It's a little complex, but I'll read it out here. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor to the soul. Now, there's a lot there. But basically, Paul is saying that God swears by himself on his promises so that we can have full confidence that he will keep his promises. He points out in verses 17 and 18 that in God's unchangeable character, it is impossible for God to lie. God is leaving no room for doubt. So as as Christians, we should be really encouraged when we read God's promises in the Bible to us, because we can depend on them, and we can know with a certainty that God will keep them. These are promises like Isaiah chapter 41, verses 9 and 10 Where God tells us, You are my servant. I have chosen you, and I will not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10, God promises us, Though the mountains be shaken, and the hills be removed, yet my unfeeling love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. So if we are Christians, we can be confident that God is with us, that He does not desert us, but that He helps and He strengthens us when we need it. We have more promises. Romans chapter 8 verses 28 promises us and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose and in 1st Peter chapter 5 verse 7 we are instructed humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you cast all your anxieties on him Because he cares for you. So, no matter what is happening in our lives, we know that it is within God's plan and that he is always available for us to come to him in prayer and to ask for his comfort. We have this certainty about God's promises in the Bible because God is truthful. We know that his words are reliable. But do we put this knowledge into practice? Do we really pray in confidence for the promises that God has given us? Do we really spend enough time thanking him for the blessings that we have already received? Are we grateful for everything that God has done for us? And do we act in our everyday lives with the boldness of someone who truly believes that the God of everything? has a plan for our lives and a personal interest in us. The truth of all of these promises is also just as applicable to God's most important promise to us, and that is the gospel. We can also have full confidence that the gospel is true. In fact, to emphasize the point, the Bible repeatedly refers to the gospel As the message of truth. Colossians chapter 1 verse 5 tells us. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before. In the word of truth. The gospel. Which has come to you. And what is the gospel? Well Jesus has already summed up a large part of it. In John chapter 14. In verse 6. We have, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel message is the good news that Jesus came to provide a way that we can be saved from our sins. Because we all understand that as much as I have been talking about a perfect and truthful God, we, on the other hand, are anything but we are not perfect by any means we have all lied we've cheated we've been hateful to other people we've been jealous angry or hurtful first john chapter 1 verses 7 to 10 tells us this it says the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This verse is saying that sin affects every single one of us. You can probably think of multiple times that you have acted in a way that was sinful Even if it seemed like just a harmless little thing at the time, it is still sin. And this is a catastrophic problem that can't be emphasized enough. Because because of our sin, no one can come to God. Any sin is a direct betrayal of God, our creator. And just in the same way that a lie given to a family member can destroy our relationship with that family member, A a sin against God destroys our relationship with God and there is nothing that we can do on our own to repair that relationship. The entry price to get into heaven is having zero sin. One is too many. A few is too many. We can't get into heaven by balancing all of our good deeds and all of our bad deeds. That's not how it works at all. The Bible is clear about this. We cannot get to heaven if we have sinned even once. It will bar us from heaven for eternity. And instead, our fate will be eternal punishment for that sin. If we could get into heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have needed to die on the cross. Jesus would not be able to say in John chapter 14, no one comes to the Father except through me. Because there would be people in heaven who got there without his help. There would be people who, in heaven who got there on their own good deeds. But Jesus tells us that clearly. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth of the gospel is this. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be righteous or perfect on our own. But Jesus can and did lead a perfect life. As I've just stated in 1 John, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's it. That's the only way to heaven. It's to look at Jesus' death on the cross and to realize that he has already provided the opportunity for us. We simply need to realize that we have wronged God And to ask him to forgive us. To take the punishment for our sins on that cross. And when we do that, they're completely gone. And because God is truthful to us, we can have absolute confidence that our sins are dealt with. Once and for all, again, that passage in 1 John promises us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we do not have to fear any punishment for what we have done wrong. All of our sins will be dealt with and we will then be part of the promise in John chapter 14 that we read that Jesus will prepare a place for us in his father's house and he will take us to be with him. But we have to ask him for that salvation. So if our God is truth, Jesus is truth, the Bible is truth, and the gospel is truth. How then can we as Christians be in any way associated with anything that is untruthful? It is obvious that if we have accepted that gift of salvation, then we need to live lives worthy of the God who has saved us. A God of truth wants us to be truthful to each other. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9 tells us do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices it is the greatest hypocrisy for Christians to be saved from sin but then go on in our day-to-day lives continuing to sin and yet it is something that we all do the temptation will always be there especially for lying. Sometimes the truth can be embarrassing to us. Maybe we've repeatedly made a particular mistake in home or at work and we make the same mistake again and then we have a choice. Do we own up to making that mistake and risk embarrassing ourselves, looking stupid, looking incompetent? Or do we leave it and hope that no one notices it? Do we try and cover it up Do we ignore it and blame someone else? Often when we lie, we do so to save ourselves from what will happen if we tell the truth. When we lie, the consequences of being found lying are actually often far greater than the consequences of if we told the truth in the first place. We are putting our trust in a false hope by lying. We are acting in sin trusting in the sin to save us from our worldly problems rather than telling the truth acting righteously and trusting in god to help us the temptation to lie is a difficult one it can sometimes come completely out of nowhere we're just sitting minding our own business with no temptation no inclination to ever lie about anything but then someone walks over And asks us a difficult question. And we know that if we tell the truth it will be embarrassing for us. In that split second with only a couple of moments to think about it. We come up with a lie to save ourselves. We give an easier answer than the truth. An answer that we think will cause us less problems. But in doing so we are not understanding just how terrible sin is. Even a seemingly harmless lie is a betrayal of God and a grieving of the Holy Spirit that lives in us if we are Christians. As Christians, we should be praying earnestly that we do not fall easily into temptation and we should also pray that if we do, that we realize it and we understand what we have done and ask for forgiveness. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 22 says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord but those who act faithfully are his delight. And Proverbs chapter 26 verse 8 says a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. There is no soft language used here. Lying is an abomination to God. We are hateful the people that we lie to. We are working ruin in the world when we lie. We are rejecting God and embracing sin. This is not only extremely destructive to our personal relationship to God, setting us back and pulling us further away from him when we should be seeking to grow as as close as possible to God, but it's also extremely damaging to everyone around us creating deceit in our relationships and hurting our witness to other people. If we get caught out in lies, the non-Christians will not take our faith seriously. They will rightfully brand us hypocrites. So how do we guard from sin? We spend time with God as frequently as we can. We pray to him and we read his word. In Psalm 119, verse 11, King David says this to God, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we should also be frequently reviewing how we have acted, identifying our sins and asking forgiveness for them so we are conscious of when and how we do sin and we can be more careful in future when faced with those circumstances. Lamentations chapter three, verse 40 tells us this. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. No one will become perfect on this side of heaven. So this is something that we must do diligently for the rest of our lives. But we should do it gladly, knowing that it will bring us closer to the truth of our God the God of our salvation, because if we love God, then we should want to be like him. Thank you. We'll have our closing hymn now, which is, O Lord, My Rock and My Redeemer. If you'd all stand again for this.